Welcome to the Ride With Us podcast, presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the world's largest ride enthusiast organization dedicated to the appreciation, promotion, and preservation of roller coasters around the globe. So please keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times as we welcome your hosts, Jessica Gardner and John Davidson. Hello, coaster enthusiasts. One thing that all of us coaster fans talk about or hear about is SBO, standing but not operating, temporary delays in operation, the dreaded closed for maintenance, all those things that us ACE members dread. So in this episode, we're going to take a deep dive and we're going to talk about coaster maintenance. I'd like to welcome Will Meldrum Thush to the show. Happy to be here. So Will, you're a mechanical engineer at Roush Entertainment, but I'm from Illinois. So in Illinois, when I think Roush, I think of a Roush Mustang, which is like a souped up version of a Mustang. So where does Roush Entertainment fit into that? So Roush, honestly, up until a couple of years ago, I thought of Mustangs as well. Uh, that's what okay. everyone grew up So it's not just for. me. It's not just me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it's everybody. I always get whenever I tell someone I work at Roush, oh, you work at the car company? No, 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 no. Um... So basically, Roush Entertainment Systems, we're a division of the company, and pretty much we do a lot with theme park rides and attractions. So kind of anything that moves on a ride is something that we can do. What is a mechanical engineer exactly? To put it in terms of like coasters, uh, the mechanical engineer would be the one who designs the train or like the bogey mechanism, the ratchet mechanism, all the things that are moving, be that on a ride vehicle or a showpiece on an attraction or anything like that. Pretty much anything that moves. So as opposed to like an electrical engineer, they'd be working on the electrical system and stuff. So I just wanted to make that clarification because mechanical sometimes can be like one of those weird things. You're not exactly sure what it is. And uh, and it's just kind of fun to think about all the little teeny pieces. And, and there's just people who specialize in just that. So do you have a specialty or are you more of a generalist? Ooh, in this industry, really, you have to be a generalist because you can be working on one thing and it'll be pneumatic, this huge pneumatic system. And then the next thing you work on can be a tiny little electric actuator that moves something really small. So okay. you really got to know a little bit of everything. So can you talk about what you're working on or is that a kind of off limits? No. So a lot of the work in this industry is under what's called NDA, non-disclosure agreements. And it's kind of all around the industry. That's the big topic. You know, no That's one wants okay. to release new coasters. Us coaster enthusiasts <laughs> are well used to the, we can't talk about it. So, but I will say that on your website, if you click on entertainment, it does have a picture of the dragon at Universal Dagon Alley. So let me just kind of throw that out there. So that's at least public knowledge. But we always say, I always say we're like Santa Claus. We have the coolest job in the world, but we can't tell anyone about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay, so, but that's not what we're here today for, because this episode is going to be a deep dive into maintenance. So I want to rewind three-ish, I think it's three-ish years to where the weekend yeah. I first met you was at an ACE event, and it was at in Orlando at the Merry Mako Christmas. And we that's were getting right. a tour, behind-the-scenes tour, or maybe behind and under and everything tour of Icebreaker, because Icebreaker wasn't available to the public yet. That's back when we had the Christmas tree up on top of the top hat. That's right. You did put a Christmas tree on the top hat. So tell me a little bit about um, your role at the time. And uh, I, and then we'll, I got a pro tip once you talk a little bit about what you were doing at the time. <laughs> For sure. 
So I actually did two stints at SeaWorld. I, back in the day, they used to offer an internship to engineering students where you could go and be a REDS technician intern for six months. And I actually didn't know I wanted to work in the industry until I started, if I rewind a little bit before that, back at Volcano Bay. I was working in Virtual Line and I started meeting a bunch of cool people and I realized, oh, this is an industry and I can actually do this. So then I went and I did a rides maintenance internship at SeaWorld. I loved it so much and I learned so much that I went back while I was still in college uh, when COVID hit. And so I was a rides technician working maintenance, inspection, repairs, everything like that on these incredible machines. And that's why you're a perfect person to talk about this topic. <laughs> and so so would you consider that to be your, I don't, I don't want to say your coaster origin story, but is that, it, it, is that when you started clicking for you that you wanted to do this or have you always liked rides? No. So, well, two different questions. I always loved rides. I grew up born and raised in Orlando. So I love theme parks. I went every weekend. And so naturally, like every mechanical engineering student, I didn't realize this was something I could do. And I wanted to go into automotive, which is why it's kind of funny that I ended up at Roush now. Um, <laughs> it is kind of <laughs> ironic, right? Kind of goes full circle sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, um, then really, I wanted to go into the theme side of things, kind of um, the Universal or Disney side. Um those doors didn't open up. I had a spot at SeaWorld and that's really when I started enjoying coasters. I wasn't really a big coaster fan until I started working at SeaWorld and that's when all the pieces came together. Anytime you do like a maintenance tour or something like that, they always break you into smaller groups. So, so here's, here's my uh, pro tip. You go to a person who works there and you ask them who is the most senior person or the person who's the most nerdy about coasters. Cause you told me to uh, make sure I took a tour with your boss. It was Charlie, yeah. right? That's right. Charlie Pickering. Yeah. Yeah. And he gave an amazing tour. So thank you for that tip because he <laughs> did an amazing job. And although you weren't on the tour, I would like to kind of visually walk everybody through that um, kind of the different areas. So that when we talk about maintenance, you can kind of talk about the area. So we'll just use uh, icebreaker as an example. You know, this was multiple years ago. Things might have changed, but everybody knows the station and the, and the, like the dispatch areas. So that's kind of you know, common knowledge, but in icebreaker, yeah. if you go straight out of the station, like you're going to load, then there's an entire bay where you'd like a hold a train. And I noticed they were talking about the hoist and everything. So do you have a name for that, that area? Yeah, we pretty much called that like our maintenance bay. Um, most coasters will have what we usually call a coaster house. So like, if you look at Mako, that's the bay where we have indoor storage for all three of our trains. And that was our space for icebreaker. Yes. And then we went underneath the station. And you had a whole nother thing. So we'll talk a little bit about what's underneath there and everything. For sure. Yeah. So normally people see what's on top of the station. You see the gates actuating and you see the train, like the top half of the train. But every day when we were inspecting our rides, we had to look at everything, the entire track, every nut and bolt on the train that we could access. And so that's kind of our mezzanine area down below the station. And that's where we have um, air tanks for all of our pneumatic storage for our gates are driven by air pressure. So we have tanks down there to store air. We've got the actual mechanism for the gates down there. And that's where we can get up close with our bogies every morning to inspect those, our wheels, bushings, everything on the bottom side of the trains. Yeah, I was amazed uh, how close you can get to everything from the upstop wheels to like all of the pieces of the train where they're coming together and uh, we'll we'll come back to those maintenance things in a second. But to finish the walk, we walked the track, which you kind of talked about a little bit. And then around the corner in kind of an offshoot area, there was a, I'm going to call it a, 
a mechanical room for lack of a better term. It was really an opened area, but you had tons of parts there and it looked like you were assuming maybe looking at defects and stuff. What, what, what's that area called? To kind of take a step back, all coasters have every so often when they hit a certain number of cycles or when they've been running for a certain amount of time, their trains have to go down for what's called annual. Basically, the idea is once a year, you take every car of every coaster off, you tear it down to its bare pieces so that it's a frame with nothing on it. And really, that's the best opportunity to get a look at all of your pins, your weldments that are underneath the frame that are holding your seats up, that attach your bogies, check your bogies. We'll have professionals come in and perform what's called non-destructive testing, literally making sure that everything is just as safe as it was when it came from the manufacturer. And we have size limits on anything that defects that we find. We go through, we check every single component, every single part, we wipe all the grease off of everything, make sure that's good to go. And then we rebuild it from the ground up back to a completed train. And then we send it out for test cycles. And so that area is where we do those types of annuals. Um, now okay. we have a shed out there. So always improving, always finding better ways to do it. So, so I'm going to kind of walk through that in a little more detail. Every year you pull the train off into the bay or you call it, sorry, the, the station. And yeah. then you start taking all the pieces off of it. You're so, and um, so what are the colors that are on all the nuts and bolts? So you're talking about the lines that you can see. Yeah. That is actually a tool to help us during our inspections every day. It's something that's called torch stripe. So every day we're checking every fastener to make sure that none of them have backed off or come loose because in the, now being in the engineering side, I can talk about the engineering side of it. When you're designing all of these mechanisms, basically you want to make sure that if you're using a bolt to clamp two pieces of metal together, two parts together, you don't want them to slide relative to each other. Otherwise you can get loads on your bolts and have uh, issues with that. So pretty much our torque straight is our way of making sure that our bolts aren't backing off and that we always have the correct amount of tension in every single joint everywhere on the trains. So if we find anywhere where that's rotated or that's broken, that's an indication to us that we have to come back and either replace the fastener or check the torque on it to make sure that we don't have any potentially issue uh, or anything like that rise up. So to take that a step farther, you're looking through all the train, you're checking all of the nuts and bolts to make sure they did that they're the exact torque spec of when you installed them. But then you said in the destructive piece, what would you do? Then would you take that piece off and then destroy it? So... And the destructive, well, not destructive, when the disassembly part, basically okay. we're taking everything apart. Um, we'll keep all of our manufactured components. Like if you look at the ratchet mechanism, the parts that go click, 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 the little teeth, we'll keep all of those. We're basically checking those to make sure that they don't have any excessive wear or indications or anything like that. But we'll replace all of our fasteners that are holding our joints together. Uh, so anything that has tension or stress on it, you replace all the stress pieces and so, and then you're testing all of the individual stuff to make sure it's not going to break again. Cause I mean, I think yeah. that's kind of the the point that I wanted to make sure we talked about is that, that you guys, well, not the, in the industry, they take all these things apart and put them all back together to make sure that they are just as good as when they were new. And I think that's pretty amazing. So that's the yearly, you said, you called it a yearly? Yeah, I called it an annual. But you it call it an annual. on the manufacturer. Annual. Depend okay, so it's just, rel it's just maybe every year, but it maybe every two years. It just depends on the ride. Okay. Exactly. So what about like general maintenance that's not the complete teardown? Like let's say, let's pick on wheels because we know wheels wear out. For sure. Every day we'll do what's called a visual inspection. Um, so pretty much for that, we're checking 
everything that we can visually get our eyes on. And that includes our wheels. So for something like Mako, the coaster house is really cool. The coaster house being our maintenance bay, where basically the train comes off onto rails that are built into the building so that we don't have any rails inside of the bogies themselves. So we have complete free access to spin every single one of our wheels on the train. And we can check bearings inside of them every day. We can look for flat spots all the way around our wheels where maybe the train was sitting on a surface for too long or got too hot and it's set still. And we can have something that can cause like a rough vibration during the ride. And we'll know that we have to swap those out or know that it's something to look for when we test ride. But we also check for any type of what's called delamination. Your wheel has an aluminum or a metallic hub in the center, and then it's got a urethane or a plastic on the outside of it. And that's what gives you the soft surface that runs against the track. And sometimes the bond between those two surfaces, the hub and the urethane can come undone if it gets too hot or if it sees a high stress or something. So we'll look for any indications that that bonding is becoming weakened. Um, we'll also check for anything that's called a blowout where Literally, your urethane wheel will get too hot, and it'll eject part of the center core of the urethane out of the wheel. So it'll be like a chunk missing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, wow, Sometimes it's crazy. internal. Sometimes you'll just see a little dot, and if you kind of poke at it, you can feel that it's hollow on the inside, but it doesn't appear like anything on the outside. How would it come out? <laughs> that seems so <laughs> weird. It just, just kind of, like you said, ejects out, huh? It gets too hot, and you get a nice little jelly core on the inside, and it expands, and it needs somewhere to go. Huh. And when the wheel so, runs over, you got high stresses and it just pokes its way up. So is there a difference between checking like a wheel where the, the way of the train is versus like an upstop wheel? So normally we're looking for the same thing on all of them. All um, of them. Okay. Your load wheels sometimes are made out of a harder material. So like you may have a higher durometer urethane, something that's harder, um, where, or sometimes they're made out of nylon, a completely different material. And then at that point, you're not checking for some of the things like blowouts as much because those aren't as common. You'll more see wheel diameter issues where you'll actually run your wheel too much and it'll get too small over the course of you running it. And that's usually what drives you to have to replace those. Uh, so that that gives you too much too much of an, uh, well, if, if you're talking about negative air, uh, as the wheel gets smaller, <laughs> then you have more room between the main tire and the upstop tire. So you have too much play. Is that the same for left and right also? It'd be too much that gets leads you to that banging left and right? Yeah. Your side wheels sometimes, if you have, if those start to get too small, you can have the same thing and you can kind of develop a little bit of a rattle. Um, but also upstop or not upstops, your load wheels, if they get too small and they get out of spec, on um, some rides, you have mag fins for magnetic braking. And if you have too much wear, those wheels can start to, the train will drop lower and lower close to the track. And so you want to catch uh, them before you have any type of collision. Like that. Uh, before there's a part collision. God, that makes sense. Because exactly. all of the specs, anything gets off, and then all of a sudden everything starts to not be aligned. Yeah. So well, continue to walk us through your inspection day then. So if you've checked the trains over, now now what are you going to go look for? Trains are divided into bottom half and top half. So the bottom half is a lot of bogeys and things like that, like we were just talking about. And then the top half is usually where you'll have your ratcheting mechanism, and you'll check kind of your seats, uh, your seat padding, anywhere that the guest is going to sit, make sure that there's no um, loose bolts again or anything like that. And then once you're done with that, then you go onto the track. And that's where it really depends on which ride you're on. Like if you're on something like Mako, 
you've got this massive lift and you're checking your tra your chain the entire way up, making sure that it's clear, making sure that it's getting lubricated because it's a piece of steel out in the Florida rain and humidity that's going to want to try and rust. What? It rains in Florida? <laughs> Never. Okay. So but, let, I'm trying to picture this in my head. You've got like a little elevator thing that runs along the track and goes up the lift hill? No. We have a staircase and safety harnesses. Every okay. day we are climbing that 200 you're, foot. You're like hill. elevator, whatever. We walk <laughs> that bad one. boy. No, every day is leg day. <laughs> nice. Every day is leg day. All right. So, mm -hmm. um, and then you were mentioning safety. Uh, so walk walk me through if somebody hasn't done a lift hill walk before. You're you're actually putting on a harness and you're clipping in, right? Exactly. There's actually Charlie Pickering, the guy that you had talked to during the icebreaker event. He has a video that. I think the Orlando Sentinel put out that kind of shows him walking up a lift hill. That's really cool. And it's him and a reporter in a full body harness tied off to there's a rail on the side that goes along the handrail all the way up the lift. All right. So then what's um, after you do the lift hill, how do you finish the rest of the track inspection? So our track is divided. Well, depending on the ride, the track's divided into a couple of different sections. So for something like Mako, you may have the lift hill. And then you may go back through and check the top half of the station and then go through the main brake run as well. So checking your mechanical brakes, making sure again, because you have components that can wear on those brakes, making sure that they're at the right distance, kind of like we were talking about with the load wheels, that you have the right amount of clamp force and that they're able to hold where they need to and that they can release when they need to. Um, we're checking for function also the entire way. So if I have like a brake system that's pneumatic powered, I'm going to actuate it manually and make sure that I can hear it while I'm standing next to it. Because when we do our test rides, we're not close to all of the mechanisms. And if there's an air leak or something, we won't be able to distinguish as easily where it's coming from. Ah, so you may hear like a little hiss or something and then try to find a joint where air is leaking out or something like that. You can actually hear the difference, huh? Exactly. Sometimes if you go to actuate something, you may hear a hiss and you're like, oh, there's a seal bed somewhere <laughs> over there. So you've heard this 300 times. So the <laughs> 301, it's like, oh, that doesn't, that's, I don't know what that is quite yet, but that's not right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, and all this is before like you've even ran a train, right? Yep. Exactly. All right. So is there anything left um, on your checklist before you start the train operations? Yeah, for sure. So if you're in the back section, um, kind of just where there's not as much mechanical going on, it's just track. Um, similar to what you're checking on your trains, everywhere you have a bolt that's either at your connection from your column to the grout and the ground underneath, or from the column to the track itself, we also have torque stripe on every single one of those locations that we're checking, just like we did on the trains. Every day you check the bolts on the concrete foundation. Every day we're checking every fastener that we can see, yes. Huh, I didn't yep. realize that. If you go so, to some of these parks at like four or five in the morning and you just watch, like stand next to the coasters, You'll see a bunch of flashlights going around. It's really funny. That makes sense. And then how often do you check the fasteners that aren't visible from like, you know, I mean, like from an area that you can see? Yeah. So those we have train annuals. We also have track annuals. Oh, so those okay. will actually go on. We'll do the same type of thing. We'll check fasteners on whatever prescribed amount of fasteners that we have to on the track. Make sure that nothing slips. And if anything does, then there will be a prescribed procedure that's more than just this one fastener. It may say replace every fastener in that joint or something to make sure that there's no issue anywhere in the joint. Um, 
We'll also check NDT as well. The track has a lot of welds. And so anywhere there's a weld, you know, we'll go through and we'll make sure with X-ray or whatever mag particle testing the vendor requires, we'll go through and we'll make sure as well up close in high reach or a crane or whatever we have to, to make sure that all those areas are safe. Wow. So checking in with the crane and I've seen, I call them cherry pickers. I don't They're probably not called that anymore, but I've seen a lot of the drivable units where the people are in the, in the box and they get up real close to the track. Cause it's, I think, or at least at SeaWorld anyway, you can see those in the parking lot. So you clearly yeah. have to have them at the ready. Yeah. So. We actually have one directly on the back by Mako. So yeah. 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 You see it when you're riding it. So that's the only reason why I know. So, <laughs> yep. okay. So what's, what's left before you start to run the trains or is that it? That's, that's a pretty good overview of it all. Okay. Awesome. All right. So when you get the trains, um, let's talk, uh, make sure when you're talking through all that, you, you talk about, do you guys, uh, like, you know, you start them, of course, and you run them and make sure they're empty. Right. And they yeah. come back the right way. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> so I know I'm super simplifying this. So what's your, what's the actual procedure? Cause I know it's more depth than that. Yeah. I actually forgot my, everybody's favorite part of walking the track, the trim, that trim break that nobody likes. Oh, yes, yeah. the trim break. <laughs> the one that everyone yeah. asks every time the I buzz, said, oh, I worked on Mako. Can you get rid of can, that? <laughs> it could be a buzzkill. But when that hits, you're they're slowing the train down. But sometimes it doesn't hit. What's the difference? Is it just going so, slower? At the bottom of that valley, right before you go into that hill, there's two sensors. And basically, they're checking the speed of the train at that position. So they see how frequently that proc sensor is being flagged as each row goes past the, the uh, sensor itself. It's determined, the computer is determining how fast the train's going and it'll determine how long the brakes need to be actuated for to slow the train down a certain amount. It's just kind of weird from a sensation. So if you're, if you love n- negative airtime or, you know, what, yeah, whatever you want to call it, not negative airtime, <laughs> negative G's, whatever uh, airtime. It's funny that with the trains going slower, because that trend doesn't hit, you feel like you get more airtime over that hill, which is counterintuitive because you're actually going slower. Yeah. <laughs> just, just kind it's of weird funny. You can feel it slowing down. So it kind of pulls you forward too. What's going on here? Yes. Yeah. And for, <laughs> and for those of you guys who've never, I mean, we're particularly talking about Mako. Mako is known for the airtime. That coaster has... I don't know if there's a stat that's true, but I mean, a it lot. just feels like it's a lot of airtime. It's got to be like one of the highest amounts of airtime, but anyway, we, we digress. Okay. So I appreciate you circling back on the trim because I probably got harassed for not asking about the trims. So, <laughs> but uh, it wouldn't be a complete one. story without the trim. That's right. <laughs> Especially about makeup, um, but uh, cir- circling back to now that you've gone, you've done all the testing, you've, you've, sorry, you've done all the visual inspection. Now you're getting ready to test the cars. What's that procedure like? Pretty much we'll pull out all the trains that we're going to run for the day and we'll cycle each of them three times. So we'll run our lap bars, make sure that everything's opening and closing in the station the way that it should during normal operation. Um, and actually a fun fact that I don't think many people know about these types of rides is when the lap bar comes all the way up, it gets held in place so that you can help get yourself out of the train. I never see anyone use that feature, and I use it all the time. It's great. Next time you ride a BNM hyper coaster, go try it. <laughs> oh, so they great. lock open to give you a handle to pull yourself out of the seat. Hey, yep. man, two pro tips in this podcast already. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll check all of that in station three times, and then 
afterwards is when you'll test ride when you check cycle times on the trains so while they're going around the track we're making sure that there's no excessive cycle times if the times are taking too long like mako is like a 56 to 60 second ride from the time you leave the lift hill to the time you hit the main brake run and if you're seeing anything outside of that then it's an indication to check wind speeds temperatures or maybe there's something that you didn't see or that was hidden during your initial inspections so once it passes all those then you get to ride well maybe not part. you then you test ride <laughs> then you get to test rides <laughs> yep uh, just a, a weird stat uh, circling back uh, about you is uh, when we did the tour on Icebreaker, which is not open to the public, mind you, at this time, you had in log rides something like 98 rides on Mako. Did you ever break 100? Uh, on Mako? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, close. sorry, sorry. Icebreaker. Sorry, sorry. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I think I was at 99 when I left. Oh, almost at 100. <laughs> man, you couldn't have but said, hey, please, for I'm my going like away, can we do one more so I can hit 100? <laughs> well, so this is where my favorite random flex. I was the 15th person ever to ride Icebreaker. Okay. So. All right. Well, since we circled back to Icebreaker and we're talking about you, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. I mean, yeah. well, actually, you know what? We skipped We skipped something that I think would be interesting for everybody. Once you're doing the test rides, how do you test the block zones or the or the or the brakes? Because I've often see them stop a train, like in the mid course. Do you know what I'm Ooh, saying? Good point. Yes, yes. Before anyone actually gets on a train, if we know that we're going to run more than one train during the course of the day, we'll have at least two trains out on the track, and we'll do exactly like you said, block checks. So we'll leave one in the station. And literally, we'll start cascading backwards. And so we'll stop one at the block before it goes into the station. And on our PLC system, like in the control room, we can tell it, hold the train here, hold the train in this location. And so we'll keep cascading back. So we'll start on the transfer table right before the station, hold the train there, make sure that one stops on the main break. Then we'll hold that one. We'll make sure that one stops on the mid-course break. Then we'll hold one there. And then we'll make sure that the train stops on the lift hill. Yeah. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it, that's it's pretty cool because that's the mechanism that ensures that you never get pushed into another train. And uh, I mean, I think every coaster enthusiast knows what a block zone is, so we probably don't have to go into that. But I just thought it'd be it wouldn't be fair if we had hadn't mentioned that. So that's fair. Okay, yeah. nobody wants All bumper right. cars. <laughs> no, nobody nobody wants bumper cars when you're going that fast, especially. Um, so, so then when I was switching gears, what I was wanting to talk about a little bit, um, because of your timing with icebreaker and the fact that you had 99 rides, not a hundred on that, <laughs> how does the process go from the manufacturer is operating the ride and testing it, finalizing the, all the computers, all the computers, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you get handed to it as part of the park maintenance team to start guess t I don't want to say takeover ownership because <laughs> that's maybe the bad terms, but, but what's, how's that process go? Just kind of high level. So it's actually a really cool process for these types of rides. Basically, um, everybody knows you, Icebreaker opened in February of 2022. Yeah. So when did they take the champagne bottle and break it on the front of the train? I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's only with ships, isn't it? Not yet. We're still waiting for that one. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Okay. Oh, no, so, no. So the ride opened in February of 2022. We had a team actually created for the ride that I was a part of. 
the beginning of January 2021. W- w- sorry to interrupt, but when you say we, you mean SeaWorld had a team. Yes. So sorry, there was not Roush. <laughs> so there was certain people that were quote unquote a part of the group that was going to be trained um, from the manufacturer. Um. Yeah. So we had our team put together pretty much when Premier came down, when construction was finishing on the ride. Like we were still a month or two away from construction being done is when we started going out there. And, and then how does that, like, what are the steps then? So you got picked. So then you started going to training, had to read all the manuals. So I green tag Mako one day. I was picked up by my supervisor, given a hard hat and a safety vest and told you're an icebreaker now. <laughs> and, <laughs> that's, actually, that's literally how it went, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was this also Charlie? Uh, this was also Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> he said he needed a volunteer and I said, oh, okay, I'll go. Little did I know. <laughs> All right. Um, walk me through it. But yeah, so pretty much we showed up and we got introduced to individuals from the vendor for the ride. And they had someone who travels pretty much from site to site doing commissioning or anything that they need someone out in the field for. Um, and they had also brought one of their engineers out. And so really it was working closely with those two. So in the beginning, we were doing um, initial adjustments of everything. So kind of like when you think of if Toyota is making a new car. There's technicians on the assembly line who are going through and checking, you know, your brake calipers and your brakes, making sure that they're at the right distance, making sure that the pressure is set to the right pressure in your hydraulic system for your brakes. All of those checks we were doing ourselves, which gave us a great opportunity to learn how the ride works and to learn about all the mechanisms and the repair procedures that we were going to have to go through while the ride wasn't open yet. And it could give us exposure to a lot of things that we were going to have to do down the road so that when they came up during normal operation, we had a better idea of what to do already. So you start actually fine tuning the ride underneath the manufacturer with I mean, am I saying exactly. that right? Exactly. Yeah, under supervision of someone from the manufacturer. Exactly. Got it. So that's how you start to finalize your procedures and your processes and understand how you maintain the coaster. At that point, who who's <laughs> running the coaster. I don't know how to ask the question. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's definitely a legal sign off when SeaWorld says we're accepting the ride and it becomes us. And before ah. that, it is the main. So there is an actual line in the sand that is legal based where they say, okay, you, you, they hand you the keys per se. <laughs> I know I'm <laughs> making this a little super simplified, but we may or may not the, have had keys beforehand, but yeah, okay. it, exactly. Fair, fair, the metaphor. Fair point. Keys. Fair point. Fair <laughs> point. Yeah. There's a point when, you know, corporate comes out, they ride it, they say, yes, we approve of how it runs. And that's when they take ownership of it. Awesome. So what about all of the train maintenance? or the annuals um are you are you guys helping on that piece or or do you actually have the manufacturer come back in for the first rebuild so this is where it's pretty cool it depends on what park you're talking about some parks will send the rides out to the manufacturers and they'll say hey you know how to repair these vehicles you know how to do it we don't see the need to keep the extra staff on or we don't want to do it ourselves for whatever reason and they'll just send them out some parks the crews will do it themselves and that really, I think, is very, very good to help train your your maintenance team because you're seeing how the ride works. And it's really giving you an understanding to every single piece in that train. And some parks will have their own central team um, that pretty much it's time for a vehicle to go down for annual. 
they'll take it off the track, they'll send it to them, and they'll have their own little division that does it, and then they'll ship back a completed train. Okay, that's cool to kind of walk through the different examples. So that's everything from they don't do it, they just send the train off to the manufacturer, to they've got a specialized team that just does rebuilds, and uh, exactly. they know basically the thing. So okay, so it all probably yeah. depends on the park, the size of the park, the staffing. If you have an time. off season. <laughs> if, if you have an off, yeah, fair point, fair point. Yeah. A lot good, of parks that don't have point. off seasons do it themselves, but yeah, if you have an off season, that's a great thing to do. All right. Well, you've walked us through all of the steps through all the pieces. So now the last thing I'd like to talk about is a little bit of the complexity differences. And if you don't okay. mind, uh, we don't have to pick on a particular ride, but because you were at SeaWorld and I know you happen to work on Manta, can we just compare <laughs> generally the difference between a coaster like Mako that we've been talking about and then a technically advanced flying coaster, <laughs> which is to me seems like, like 700 other things you'd have to check. I know. Mm. Uh, is that, is, am I asking that question? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's anytime you add mechanical complexity, it's much more that you have to check, but I think, it's completely worth it if anyone's been on Manta. It's a great oh, ride. <laughs> it is it is amazing. So just to paint an example, like I'm assuming Mako, if you sensors on a seat, there's probably, you know, a handful or whatever. But then yeah. you talk about Manta and like like just in just in <laughs> generality, how much more of a electronic safety mechanism is there on that? So more than you would realize <laughs> and i'm sure you can already tell that there's a lot um so not only are you adding the entire frame of the vehicle where you're sitting is moving so you're adding prop sensors to verify that the position of the chassis is correct you're verifying that your locking mechanism is in the fully extended or fully retracted state but on top of that there's leg restraints that you have to think about leg flaps so you have to have an extra prop sensor on those. Your harness mechanism inside is actually completely different. So whereas Mako, you'll have a single pusher that controls a bar that does an entire row's worth of unlocking restraints. Manta, every seat is individual. And the mechanism itself is actually different. It's still ratchet, so you still get the click, click, click sound when you pull it down. But rather than having uh, multiple teeth around a single ratchet system that's down in that little covered box down by your feet. This actually has a motor on every seat with extra mechanisms to make sure that you can um, lock safely, unlock safely. So it's far more complex um, from a control standpoint. Yeah. And if you've never seen one of the flying coasters, you you get in it and the mechanism that ratches is down that you're talking about is actually the mechanism that holds your body weight when the thing rotates which is why there's an extra pin or in my in my head there's an extra pin that slides in to make sure that ratcheting mechanism uh can't move but exactly i know, I know i'm super was... simplifying this and <laughs> there's probably well, this is... <laughs> engineers that are like okay it's a lot more to it than that but but from a general <laughs> no, standpoint good. And if um, you want to see more, I know SeaWorld did a coaster house tour one year of the coaster, and there's videos of it on YouTube. Like those restraints opened up. Oh, so, yeah. Highly recommend. That's cool. If you're curious, go and find them, and you can okay. really see how much is going on in there. Yes. As, I, I think uh, it's one of the cool things about Ace is all of the coaster enthusiasts are super 
interested in even the small little minute details. So as a, as this is probably boring for somebody like my wife, who's probably already uh, trailed off and will never listen to this. Um, I think it's pretty amazing. So how, from a time perspective, would it, what's the, is the difference between a coaster like a Mako and a coaster like a Manta for your daily processes and your rebuild processes? So for daily, the whole park opens at the same time. So rather than time like per person, we have more people on something like Manta. Ah, so you add so, more, more workers. Exactly. Like Manta, you need at least two people to inspect because you have to be able to do certain procedures on the bottom and the top of the train at the same time. Whereas Mako, if you have one person, you can do the trains and you can have somebody else out on the track. Um, so it's more, more people, um, and that allows you to go through and inspect, even though there's more inspection points, you have more people to help cover that as well. And one kind of last question and forget about SeaWorld at this point, and just talk in general about different types of coasters and the different complexities, either by model or whatever, um, some from a maintenance side, I know y'all spend a lot of time tracking the cost of operating a ride yeah so let's take like a a kitty coaster and then compare it to like a full-size coaster just in just in generalities not nothing to do with cereal just if you're just shooting from the hip guessing about how many times more expensive is it to operate the bigger coasters Ooh, that's a good question well i'm, I'm not if it's okay i'm not trying to put you on the spot <laughs> and if you know real numbers and you don't want to talk about it it's totally fine but but I mean, just like, is it like 10 times more expensive or is it like 100x expensive? I'd say probably in the scale of 10x if I had to take a guess, just because it's more parts and bigger parts because you're seeing yeah. more stress. So you've got bigger, more precise components. I think it's also the more complexity leads to more what I call delayed operation earlier. So yeah. Since I'm putting you on the spot anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> keep it coming. A, a lot of delayed delayed operation is really like a sensor that failed or wasn't able to reach the safety threshold to move the ride forward, so it just stops the whole ride. Yeah. So, <laughs> so do you mind talking just a little bit about delayed operation and how it's just as probably frustrating for you as it is for the people that are in the line? Oh, absolutely. It's at least when I was at SeaWorld, I got my fun out of watching people come off the ride smiling. And yes. when the ride's down, people are not smiling and not happy. <laughs> so it, it's always definitely a goal. How can we get this back up efficiently, but still safely, of course. And like you said, a lot of the time it'll be the air compressor will shut off for something small. Like it'll notice a fault or you'll have a prox sensor on that ride that's not you know, maybe it's going bad and it goes bad in the middle of the day. And it's, it's a lot of smaller things. Sometimes you'll hear something that you can't tell what it is on a train and you'll pull it off out of precaution. But usually it's a lot of smaller things like that, which is unfortunate because you have to go through, you have to lock out the ride, get out there, go find what's wrong, come back, find your spare parts, go back out and replace it. So even though it may be something small where it's easy to fix, it could take 30, 40 minutes, or if it's out, in the back part of a ride where you got to go walk to it, it may take upwards of an hour sometimes even for something small. And then from a complexity standpoint, is it based on the type of repair, how much testing you have to do before you can put 
people back on the ride or how does that work? Yeah. So it also depends where it is. Like if it's on the track, usually it's something that you can cycle, um, you know, a couple of trains around and be good. Whereas if it's on an individual train or an individual restraint, you want to go through and cycle that component a couple more times and make sure that that specific one is good. So if you have multiple trains, if it's on the train, it could take a little bit more time in the course of cycles to get it back up. Will, before I let you go, is there anything, any chunks of the job or anything from your new job that you think uh, would relate to this maintenance piece that I left out? Do you want to ask about um, one train operations? Why? Why would a park, especially if the train's sitting there and we see the train, why would they run one train ops? That's a good question. And there's a lot of reasons why. Um, sometimes our train can be just coming back up from annual. And so maybe it hasn't hit the number of cycles that it needs to, um, to be running yet. We're held, um, parks all around the U S and a lot of countries are held to ASTM F24 standards. That's a group within ASTM who writes, um, safety requirements specifically for amusement parks and amusement rides. So we have provisions in there that state how many times we have to cycle a train when it comes back up to make sure that it's safe before we put anybody on it. So we may be waiting for that. It may be a part um, that needs to be replaced on the, on the train itself. Maybe someone's downstairs looking for the part so they can replace it. Maybe we don't, someone doesn't have the part and so the train's down until a replacement part can be found. Um, or sometimes if the park has going to see or expecting to see low capacity for the morning or for the day, they may keep one train on. We may green tag or um, approve the ride to run with two trains and then take one off and keep it off until it's busier later in the day and put it back on because that brings down the number of cycles that you're going to see on both of your trains. So if you have fewer cycles, then you're not hitting your annual uh, refurbishment as quickly. And so that can be a problem where if you have a park where you're doing all of the annual maintenance yourself on the trains, you don't want to have any of them overlapping with each other where you may have two trains down. And then if you have an issue on that third train, you're now taking the ride down. Ah, so sometimes it's pulling the pieces around and sometimes about scheduling, sometimes about low capacity, and then sometimes it's just not safe. So those... Darn, those all seem like good reasons, unfortunately. Not the straightforward single answer everybody wants. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Right. Stuff we all I we all see, easy too. Wait, I see that train. Why is it not here in the station? I see it. <laughs> I think we've all thought that while we're waiting um in the station for the for the train to come back in. I've thought it before, yeah. I think it's cool that people show interest in this. You know, it's at the end of the day, it's heavy machinery industrial maintenance. But I'm, I'm here, I'm talking to you because number one, I care about it. Number two, you care about it. And there's all these people who listen to a podcast who care about it. And I don't think you could go to anyone and say, hey, look at this industrial paper mill. This thing's awesome. Look at all the things we have to do to keep it running. That's right. That's right. But, no. but you look at something like a coaster train, it's like, oh, this is really cool. And it's, I think really the mechanical side is awesome because it's something that I can show somebody like you can look at a train or you can look at a video of a train behind the scenes and you can get an understanding of how it works. And I think it's a great learning tool. And, you know, for anyone who's intrigued by this and thinks, oh, it's cool. Or if you think, oh, I want to go into a mechanical field, just learning about this, always wanting to learn more, always wanting to find out more about these rides, you know, because they're always continually developing. And so, you know, I, 
I thought I knew everything there was to know about Mako, Icebreaker, Infinity Falls, all the rides I was working on. And then something would go wrong or that I'd never seen before, or I would hear somebody talk about some new ride. Like if you look at FLY at Fantasia Land, you know, that compared to Manta is completely different. And I am still curious to this day about how that ride system works and how it's different than something like Manta. And it's, it's one of those things where you can never stop learning. And so yeah. I think honestly, well, that's the best I, part. I think we can all hear your passion and, and excitement in that. So I appreciate you coming on the show and um, I just want to leave everybody with the thought. Next time you hear that dreaded message delay in operations, just think back that the person who's working there wants that write up as much as you do. And it's really just for your safety and making sure that something doesn't happen. That's not, you know, that's not good. That's why that that's happening. And when you, when you kind of look through it at that lens, it's a little easier to understand and uh, I guess appreciate. Yeah. If you hear the message, that means the safeties are working properly the way they should. And you should be happy about that. That's right. That's a lot better than the alternative. <laughs> that wraps up this episode. We would love it if you would subscribe and give us five stars. If you have any comments for us or ideas for future episodes, please reach out to us at podcast at aceonline.org. And to connect with Ace in more ways, make sure you're following American Coaster Enthusiasts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Discord. Search for Ride with Ace on all the platforms. And check out ridewithace.com if you're not already a member. Thanks for listening, and I hope you get to ride a coaster today. Ride with Us is produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a registered 501c3 organization. Visit aceonline.org for additional information, and we will see you at the parks.